We're back on the road with Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell, and I am thrilled to welcome on two GOP side folks and two LP side folks. And, but I think they're all liberty oriented um, candidates, and I think this is going to be a fascinating discussion. I, I would imagine we're going to have more in common than we do apart, but uh, you never know. Could amount to fireworks. I don't know. Uh, but I, I wanted to have two, two people I actually know really well, Jeremy Kaufman and Carlin Borisenko who are running in New Hampshire, as well as Tim Baxter and, wait, I'm forgetting his name, Bruce Fenton, uh, who are running on the GOP side, but they are liberty-minded, as I said. So I think this will be a fascinating discussion. Tonight's episode, before we get started, I want to thank, in case the New Hampshire Free State Project fails, which I don't think it will, but I am a diversifying type of guy, and uh, I wanted to recommend to you guys, if you're interested in looking into becoming an expat or expatriation or at least having a plan B, this is how you do it. Uh, my friend Michael Thor from expatmoney.com has over 30 experts who are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. It's free to attend expatmoneysummit.com. You can reclaim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Uh, if you want to secure your plan B safe haven, if you want to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, and how and where to safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals, where the best countries are in the world to find freedom for yourself and your family, how you can get a second passport to travel the globe without restrictions and get in and out of different countries' uh, borders. Uh, you'll also learn about a libertarian island haven, private cities, communities on the ocean, and food and energy independent towns in Latin America. You can register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com. Uh, this is your way to fight back against what is happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com. The link is also in the description. Without further ado, let's bring on our illustrious panel. First up, my friend, Miss Carlin Borisenko. Hey, Clint. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Uh, Jeremy Kaufman, my man. What's up, Roy? Hey, great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And then Tim Baxter, my new friend. What's up, brother? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we will be joined by Bruce momentarily. He has uh, another conflict because he is on the campaign trail, I guess you would say. Um, so let's start off here. I wanted to know, this is the the undying question amongst the libertarian versus the liberty-minded GOP side. Why can the GOP be reformed versus why is the LP the path that we should be taking? Uh, let's start with the fight. So, Tim, I will give you the honors here. Tell me why the GOP is reformable. Well, I think the framing of the question if you're if you're trying to uh, you know advance liberty by placing your stock in political parties, I think it's a bad strategy. I dislike all political parties, right? Especially the establishment, the people that run these parties. What matters is the candidates, and more importantly, their ideas and the policies they fight for and put in place, the laws they pass that impact people in their real lives. So. I don't give to, you know, you know what about the Republican Party or the Libertarian Party. That's fair. What do you guys think, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, being in New Hampshire, it's a little bit different, right? The free state strategy 
is achieve liberty by any means possible. You know, we're sort of, uh, we're, we're outcome oriented. We're not process oriented. And so free staters will run as Republicans. We'll run as Democrats. We'll run as libertarians, you know, and we'll, we'll support liberty 100% of the, of the way, regardless of what party we're in, you know? So like, can the national uh, Republican party uh, be reformed? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if that could happen or not. Is the Republican party in New Hampshire pretty libertarian? Like maybe I'm not supposed to say this cause I'm in the libertarian party, but like, I'd say about a third of the Republicans in New Hampshire are, are pretty good. And, you know, like, I mean, look, this is public record. I donated to Tim's campaign. <laughs> so, like, That's definitely not going to get you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, we don't, we, the Libertarian Party doesn't have an opposing candidate. It uh, doesn't have a candidate uh, opposing Tim. I also donated before I knew I was I was running for office. But like, so it's like. To me, it's like you want to donate I, again. <laughs> no, uh, no. Uh, but I, you know, I want I want liberty to win. I'm not a label-oriented guy. Um, it's about people who are libertarians. You could find issues where Tim and I disagree, but it's going to be like two or three percent of things where you know ninety-seven percent in agreement. And I don't really like fighting with people that are that are ninety-seven percent in agreement. I want to get you views, Clint. So you know, maybe I can I can I can try to fight with Tim you know, <laughs> to give you a good show. But uh, um, I'll leave like, that to Carlin. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's my opinion. I'm like I I'm I'm anti-Republican like nationally, but right. inside of New Hampshire, I'm kind of not. That's fair. We got a, a fan for Carlin here, so go yeah, ahead yeah. and and get it rocking, Carlin. What what do you think? I mean, is this is this a fight worth having between the GOP and the LP side? I mean, generally speaking, I do actually agree with Jeremy. I think that the GOP in New Hampshire is very different than what I see with the GOP nationally. Um, the, the GOP nationally, I do not believe is capable of being reformed at all. I think we're seeing with what they're doing with trying to sabotage one of their own Senate candidates in Pennsylvania right now. It's just like these these are people who are not interested in winning. And I don't have um, any faith in the in the GOP National Party moving forward. Um, but like in New Hampshire, I, I do agree that like it's really not that bad here um i think we're set up in a pretty good position and actually i mean uh, you know i'll actually you know kind of piggyback off it and say like i love that tim is running as a republican i think that tim represents an amazing option in that race i love that lily tang williams is running in, as a republican in her race i think we've got a you know a really good selection of candidates and so i don't think that insofar as the people that are here i don't think we are actually competing against each other we actually work pretty well together so well, that's good. Have you seen? Uh, do you, are you familiar with Lily Tang Williams? Uh, mildly, so I, I know that she uh, she's a big gun proponent, so I like her already. So I mean, Lily Tang Williams. I want to say it was 2016, but the year could be wrong. She was the LP congressional candidate in Colorado. She hmm. discovered the Free State Project, fell in love with it, came here, is now running as a Republican, and is on Tucker Tim Pool. Uh, you know, and really building a really big profile for herself. And, and to me, like, uh, it, it's part of uh, the success of the Free State Project that someone like Lily can come here and, and, and have the impact that she's having. No, I totally agree. I, I will push back on one thing, though. You said in New Hampshire, you could uh, run as a Democrat, too. Is that happening? Are there any liberty minded people that are running as Democrats? Uh, 
There are. There have been a number of free staters who have been okay. elected as Democrats. They have to, as to how many there are right now, um, there may be a couple. They have to be more secretive about it because the Democrats really don't like liberty. And so when a free stater <laughs> wins, they primary them and they do their best to drive them out. Uh, whereas the Republicans have been way more welcoming uh, towards the towards towards the libertarians. Uh, but there could be uh, a couple of free staters elected as Democrats. I can neither confirm nor deny that. Well, that's you, interesting. You know, you know what it is? The Republicans, they say, and most of the voters think that they believe in freedom and liberty and the Constitution. Even the politicians that don't believe in it at all, they say they do. Right. That's ingrained. That's sort of that Reaganism that is still there. That's part of the foundation. The Democrat Party, they say what they care about equality or justice. So how you argue liberty, if you're running as a Democrat, that's a much, much harder challenge, I think, than to Republicans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. that's part of the problem uh, with this political dynamic is like we really have. In my opinion, Marxist hard statist type uh, party now. And and I'm not saying, you know, the left is all that, but the Democrats, like the actual Democrat Party, I just can't find hardly anybody that is on that side of things that is even close to me politically. Um, but we don't have to go down that path. I, I well, do want to ask. Okay. Oh, yeah, can I just say this on that point, though, is, is I think that, you know, generally speaking, I do agree with you on that, Clint. But I also think that since Donald Trump left office, we started to see a rise on the right of, of an extremely authoritarian mindset. It's usually coming with the more religious fundamentalists. True. And I think that that's something that, you know, we absolutely need to keep an eye on. Like, we shouldn't just assume um, that Republicans are the natural allies when when they frankly, when they start acting woke, when they start acting like leftists. And again, we are literally seeing this happen in Pennsylvania right now where they are using Democrat tactics against one of their own Senate candidates. Um, then and we need one to of their pause. best Senate candidates, well, too. Absolutely. And so that's when we need to pause and say these people are not on our team either. Yeah. I, I mean, I also think part of it is is very much a dynamic in terms of who's in power, who's out of power. Like, True. I, I, like for example, I think Republicans are better on free speech right now, but Democrats are better on free speech 20 years ago. And I mm. think if Republicans had more power, it's quite possible that they'd be worse on free speech again. You know, there are there are lots of Republicans and, and especially at the national level, less than the New Hampshire level that have like lots of authoritarian tendencies when it comes to interfering in private businesses, when it comes to interfering in, in various things. And so, you know, the notion that like like saying that one is better than the other, which like I might agree with on balance, isn't the same as saying that, you know, they're actually pro-liberty, you know, and especially, you know, and also from the libertarian side, you know, if you're looking at things like, like criminal justice, the drug war, immigration, you know, there are still areas where I think the Democrats are better than the Republicans. Yeah. And we actually did see Ron DeSantis. I mean, and listen, I'm not a defender of Disney at all. I, I hate what Disney's been doing, but Ron DeSantis blatantly violated the First Amendment when he retaliated against Disney for protected political speech. And, you know, he did that because they control everything in Florida. They had the ability to do it. They were even bragging that they were doing it at fundraising events. So it's not it's not as though this is a theoretical discussion. This is actually happening. Well, I've been meaning to have you have this fight with you, but let me bring uh -oh. in Bruce because he just he just arrived. Bruce, welcome in, sir. Oh, and you are muted, big dog. Uh-oh. 
Unmute. Can you unmute yourself, Bruce? <laughs> there we go. Maybe he'll come back. Um, well, I don't. I don't want to make this all about the uh, the DeSantis thing. I actually agree with you that DeSantis does have some um, status leanings that I'm not a fan of. Uh, most recently, with his push to ban protesting outside of pe people's residences, um, that one bothers me far more than going after a multinational, multi-billion-dollar corporation who has you know extraordinarily special treatment with their own autonomous zone. Uh, Obviously, as a libertarian, I would like to see all businesses given their own autonomous zone. But exactly. Uh, that but, should have been the answer. <laughs> but, well, yeah. But I mean, in the current paradigm, that's pretty unlikely. So I, I didn't have a problem with him stripping them of their special treatment because I, I still believe that that is a form of cronyism. And that is not capitalism either. Well, so. so, how big does a business have to does how big does a business have to get before they forfeit their First Amendment rights? We don't have to have this discussion now, but it is a very slippery slope. Again, I'm not a defender of Disney, but Ron DeSantis went around bragging to raise money that he violated their First Amendment protections. Yeah, well, it's not it's not a matter of the size of the business; it's a matter of the nature of the business. They have you just said uh, it was a matter of the size of the business. No, I just included that as one factor that okay. this they, they have special treatment because of their relationship with the government. I don't think that it benefits the Libertarian Party to defend businesses that are in bed with the government. So and I don't think it, it, it benefits the Libertarian Party to go against free speech protections. But this is definitely a discussion we can have a, a different yeah. time. I want businesses to be able to say whatever they want. I want businesses to be able to enact whatever policies they want. And I absolutely want businesses to be able to criticize the government without the government retaliating against them for protected political speech. Well, I, I have a thousand pushbacks on that, but I, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to totally derail us. So, yeah. um, but let's, uh, let's get into another hot water topic. Uh, and this is actually, I think Carlin is the only one that I've seen really vocally come out with any concerns about this. Um, but the, the overturn of Roe versus Wade seems to have opened the door for um, the Democrat party to have some chance in the midterms. Uh, I don't expect you guys to give me uh, your, your opinions on, you know, the midterms, like, who gives a shit? It's going to be what it's going to be. But I would like to know what your thoughts are on the overturn. Is it a step in the right direction when it comes to, uh, you know, states' rights, increasing liberty? Is it going the opposite direction? Uh, we'll start with Jeremy on this one. Sure. Well, to me, states' rights and, and increasing liberty aren't, aren't necessarily the same thing. And maybe I will deviate a bit from the Libertarian Party line here. I'm not sure. Personally, I am not a universalist when it comes to liberty. I think a lot of people don't like liberty. I think a lot of people don't want liberty. And I have no desire to force liberty on people who don't want it. So to me, I say, wow, well, there are, you know, 50 to 100 million people who say are, you know, uh, you know, who have very uh, religious, socially conservative values in the United States. I think they should have a couple of states where they can live uh, in accordance with their principles. If a socially conservative person who wants to use the state to force their values on others leaves New Hampshire and moves to Texas, that makes my state better, right? And so I see that as a good thing, whether I agree with what that person believes or not. 
So like to me, I see people as having fundamentally different values. I see these values as not logically derived, but more emotional and sort of more innate. And I think it's better for humanity if we say, hey, it's a very large earth. It's a very large country. Let's kind of sort ourselves out. Let's not worry about persuading one another. Let's recognize that we disagree and let's try to live in places that are in more accordance with our values. That's why I live in New Hampshire, because I'm a, I have libertarian values. And so I moved to New Hampshire. Right. So what I may personally believe, like I'm not interested in forcing that on others. And so the more that we can have a sort of patchwork and have states with 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 different values and different preferences, I see that as a good thing rather than a bad thing. Um, personally, I am I have no interest in paying money for abortion police. Right. Like I don't want to be I don't want to be taxed to pay for abortion police. I don't want to spend my own money to police that kind of thing. I think it will be, you know, sort of just as expensive and difficult to police as the drug war, just as a practical matter. And I think like sort of these arguments about abortion. I mean, I just watch people with vastly different perspectives argue about them. And it's clear that like these are deeply held values, how you feel about abortion. It's a deeply held value. It's an it's a it's an emotional value. It's not logically derived. And we're not going to persuade one another. You're not going to, you know, people don't really change their minds on abortion. There's not, you know, people have all these thought experiments, all these arguments. They don't really change people's mind. People find the ones that they like and they repeat them. Um, and so, you know, I think our politics should kind of adapt to that reality that these aren't, you know, and so it's like, are we interested in dominating one another? Are we interested in having that fight and forcing all 300 million people to live by one way? Or can we recognize this reality and say, hey, well, where do we go from here if we have these deeply seated values that are in disagreement? What do we do? And to me, my answer is return the power to the state. So I support it for that reason. Um, what, but I would prefer New Hampshire, you know, to not adapt a bunch of abortion, uh, a bunch of abortion laws. Gotcha. Well, we got uh, we got a rock star watching us. What's up, Phil? Mm -hmm. um, let's bring in Bruce. He is back one more time. This is what works. Let's let's pray this works this time. I don't know. Bruce, can you hear us? Hey, is your connection? Sure. Oh, your can connection's shot. Can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you. I can see your kids in the back of the RV, uh, but I don't think that the audio quality is good yeah, enough. We're in the campaign van. All right. Oh, Bruce, campaign van. Bruce, nice. you got to let the kids drive, okay? So you can focus <laughs> on what's important. <laughs> Child labor, legalized. <laughs> It actually was, <laughs> kind of. Well, oh, now it's coming through hey, good. Little, little oh, don't touch anything. Don't touch anything. Oh, and now he's muted himself again. Oh. Jesus <laughs> Christ. No, no, I could talk. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to have you have background noise. All right. Well, hey, Bruce. Well, we well we only have you for a limited amount of time. Go ahead and tell people what you're running on, what you're running for, what you're about. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm running for U.S. Senate uh, as a Republican. Uh, I'm a Liberty, Liberty Republican, Ron Paul Republican. I'm a, uh, a free stater. Uh, my wife and family and I moved up here as uh, free state signers. And, um, you know, we believe in that mission of uh, having the maximum role of government be the protection of life, liberty and property. So that that's how I'd vote. You know, I'd vote against uh, any kind of expansion of tyranny. Uh, I want to prevent it from ever happening again. The kind of things we've seen over the last couple of years, these gross human rights violations. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm generally for or, you know, across the board for more freedom, voluntary action. Uh, and then another big thing for me is the economy. You know, I, I, I came from the investment business. I've been in investing all my life. 
And uh, I understand money. I understand economics. And, um, you know, the people in Washington don't. So, uh, you know, I, I think for the for the liberty folks and uh, Republicans who share that message and, you know, hopefully independence. I mean, one thing, um, you know, I, I pick on Democrats as much as anybody, but I really would like to find common ground because I think there's a lot more we have in common. And, I, you know, I had a couple of people disagree with me the other day and I said, before you go, let's just find a few things we agreed on. And it was pretty easy. So, I, you know, I'd like to I'd like to see more liberty Democrats uh, as well. You know, these are, you know, human American values that we should we should all share. And, uh, you know, regardless of, of how we you know, what kind of what party we were in or whatever, we've got a country to save, you know. Well, we certainly do. And, and we don't have much time to spare. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on, Bruce. Do you do you want to hang out? Do you have much more time? Yeah, I got a few more minutes. Sure. Okay, great. Well, I, I since we only have you for a limited time, uh, go ahead and tell me. I, I think that this is probably the hottest topic for GOP liberty-minded candidates because um, obviously Roe versus Wade being overturned, or at least it looks like it's going to be. Uh, what is your position there? Yeah, boy, it's that you know that, that that's a hard question because I think that I have more more nuance. You know, there's a lot of pressure in this to be, you know, pro-life or pro-choice. I always ask people, what, what does that mean to you? You know, as a libertarian-minded, liberty, uh, you know, liberty Republican, somebody who doesn't want government in our lives, I'm resistant to any kind of new laws, you know, and I think it would be very, very damaging at a federal level to, you know, go and try and, and, and make any new laws uh, about this. Um, but I do believe that, the, that there is a point where uh, the government does have... Um, you know, at least some legitimacy in protecting life. So the question is, when does life begin? And and that that's the kind of thing that I think is, is just a little more nuanced, you know, for me. Um, and I know that's not a great answer. Uh, people expect you to be one way or the other. There's a lot of money to be raised one way or the other, whatever you say. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's just a little bit more, more nuanced. So um, I, I totally you know, agree, <laughs> to be honest. So uh, I've struggled with this. I, I went from being a hard pro-choicer as a kid to now feeling... Uh, you know, more sympathetic towards the pro-life crowd, but I, I, I still have a very big problem with having the government investigate, you know, yeah. every every miscarriage across the Especially country. Especially at a federal level, because it's federal. That means if it's a federal law, it's enforced by the Department of Justice and the FBI. So I believe life begins at conception. Absolutely. And, and I, I believe we must protect life. But I don't believe that we, uh, you, that doesn't mean that we should charge somebody with murder if they take a morning after pill, you know, or something like that. You know, there's nuance. You, we have to think through these things, particularly when we're talking about the heavy hand of government uh, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the Department of Justice and all of the ramifications of these kind of things. Uh, you, you know, there, there shouldn't be a rush to kind of do this. I would certainly resist, you know, Maggie Hassan, the, uh today she said uh, that, her, her opponents who are all male, which was a little offensive that she's assuming our gender, but uh, she did say we're all male and she, sa she said that we're all in favor of, of a Mitch McConnell, uh, you, know, what, what, you know, policy. And I, I don't think that's fair to say. I would want to read whatever Mitch McConnell said, you know, before I would make an opinion on it. Uh, and this is the problem. We don't have enough nuance in the, in the world. No, well, certainly. Tim, give us some nuance. Uh, I'm pro-life, so I think abortion is <laughs> So no and, nuance. All right. <laughs> answer, I'll, I'll answer your question directly about Roe v. Wade. 
regardless of what you think about abortion personally, I think Roe v. Wade was unconstitutional. It was flawed logic in terms of how the court decided it. And I think that case um, really took the court down the peg. Uh, it, the Constitution is very clear. Government, especially Congress, is given the powers in Article One, Section 8, and only the things that's explicitly written in Article One, Section 8 does Congress have the power to make laws about. Abortion's nowhere in there. Um, it's not something that is a constitutional right. Um, so Roe v. Wade should be overturned. So, well, so like I'm, I'm with you on Roe versus Wade being uh, bad logic, but like if you're, are you are you pro-life in the sense that you think that the federal government should be deciding this for all 50 states? Are you saying, hey, I'm pro-life, I'd like New Hampshire to be pro-life, but this still isn't something the federal government needs to decide? Yeah, so that, that's a completely different question. Um, you know, personally, I, I'm very pro-life. I make that very clear. I think in terms of what happens after Roe v. Wade, I think it's something like you said, Jeremy. I think you're going to have states. You already see it now. You have states that are codifying it in their law that subsidize Planned Parenthood that want to go further, right? The New Yorks, the Californias. There's going to be states where they say, come to our state, have, it, have an abortion whenever you want, even if you're in Mississippi, if you're in Texas. And then there's going to be states like, look at Oklahoma. I have a friend, Nathan Dom. He's endorsed by Rand Paul. He's running for Senate. He's an extremely religious guy. His family has a uh, background in terms of um, working in the church and doing things. His parents have been, um, you know, in Romania preaching the gospel for decades. So he's, you know, they passed, I think, the most extreme, um, one way to describe it, abortion bill in the whole country. So I think we're going to see states take different approaches yeah, I think that's probably a step in the right direction personally, but I, this is a very hot topic, so we can have tons of disagreement. I wanted to say thank you to Royce over at Revenge of the Sis. Sends a super chat. Good show, guys. Uh, I hung out with him at Disney World yesterday, so I am not living my principles. Uh, <laughs> the problem, Clint. Actually, I was at Universal Studios, so we're, we're safe. Uh, okay. Um, See, so, they so, need to be allowed to have a private city. That would have been the real solution is to yeah. you know, let them all have their private cities. That would have been lovely, but that was not on offer, unfortunately. Um, so since we only have a limited amount of time with Bruce, I'm going to start with him on this one and then we'll circle back. Uh, are we witnessing a controlled demolition of the economy as the World Economic Forum seems to be bragging about? Or is this just the inevitable conclusion of central planning run amok? <laughs> it's a little of both. I, I don't think, I, I think it's more the latter. Um, they, they're not as clever as they think they are. And, uh, I, you know, I want to adopt the phrase build back better for us because we, we can build back better. And, and we need uh, to. <laughs> you know, they, I mean, it may be a real, I forget how you exactly phrased it. It may be a kind of reconstruction of, 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 uh, of the world, but hopefully not in the, in the image that they think it's going to be. You know, we may reinvent things all right, and there might be a great reset, but maybe they're going to get reset because you can't pull these games forever. You can't just keep printing something from thin air with, uh, you know, dead presidents on it and, and call it money and have it keep working. You know, eventually these things stop working, and now's just as good a time as any for things to stop working. The world is starting to unravel. You know, there's tragic things like this baby food uh, uh, or baby formula shortages and things like that. These these things happen for a reason. They happen for a reason, and the reason most recently uh, in, in, in this catalyst is that they broke the world. They, they, they were already on a very, very bad track for many, many years, the last few decades, and uh, it started going crazy in... 2008 and it's much much worse now and then it's just kind of like 
you know, they see that the ship is sinking, so might as well try and print everything. I mean, they printed, what, a third of the money supply in the last couple of years and doing all of this kind of crazy stuff. So, yeah, I think that they think they have a plan and they're going to reinvent the world. And they're just going to, uh, you know, and many of them have talked about this publicly where they've talked about the Great Reset. They're just going to kind of reset everything and have some sort of jet, debt jubilee. But I, I, I don't think that'll work, and hopefully it won't. Hopefully Bitcoin and other factors uh, will be in play this time, and this will be kind of the end of this scam. We'll have quite a shakeup, but I think we could have a very, very different world right now. We're in a, you know, I say often that we're in a fourth turning. You know, our world is changing very rapidly and very significantly right now. So uh, it's all up to us to do the right thing for liberty and the right thing for freedom to make sure that it turns. The world is going to be very, very different in a couple of years. Look how different it is in the last couple of years. So it's our responsibility to try and make sure that it it turns the right way. It could be a glorious, amazing thing. We could have a national version of what's happening in New Hampshire and make it much better. Uh, but, um, you know, it could also go the other way. And there's a lot of people, you know, kind of going the way of China. So so it, it's it's exciting times. It's good. It's a you know, great time to be alive. But we've definitely got to you know, we've got to focus on, on on making sure it goes the right way. Well, that's that's exactly why I wanted to do this show with the four of you, because I, I believe that we're at a fork, a proverbial fork in the road where we can choose. Um, I mean, we can try to choose at least. And, and people like you guys are all trying to usher us down a better path. And I really appreciate your efforts. So, uh, Carlin, what do you think? Are, are they are they collapsing us on well, purpose? You know, you know, Clint, I want to I want to do a typical politician thing and I want to answer the other question. I want to go back and answer the abortion question, because okay. ironically, <laughs> the woman wasn't asked about the abortion question. So I'll play identity politics for a second. No, I actually think um, yeah. on he the abortion. He assumed your gender. He, he did. Uh, you know, I, I was called a trans man the other day on Twitter. So who really knows what gender I am anymore? Um, no. So I will say this. So personally, I am pro-choice. Um, I actually don't factor this into my perception of the Roe v. Wade thing at all, because um, personally, this decision is going to have no impact on my life whatsoever. I also do agree with the state's rights implications of it. I think that um, greater power return to the states is good. My point on Roe v. Wade is that I think it was one of the most boneheaded political maneuvers that the GOP has ever made to even touch this issue this year, because I think that it is going to have disastrous electoral consequences for them. The Democrats were were infighting. They were all at war with each other. They couldn't agree on anything. You had the progressives, you had the moderates, you had all these people, and they, they literally control all branches of federal government. They could get nothing done. And now all of a sudden, they've been united around the common issue and they are literally rolling out the 2020 playbook all over again where we are going to see protests and riots all summer they're they're telling us this and and even more importantly than that is that the democrats have already been planning ways to get around this i spent the week that that draft got leaked i spent a lot of time watching I mean, overtly socialist um, uh, videos and commentaries on what this meant for the future direction of the Democratic Party. And they already know how to get around any state bans that states might put in place. They've been planning for it probably since this case was heard. And so what I want people to hear on this is like, you know, we were going into November with the GOP, they, at least nationally. I know we're kind of focusing on New Hampshire, but GOP nationally was pretty set up to win by default just because everything else sucked so badly. I don't think we're going to see that anymore. I think that we will absolutely see Stacey Abrams be elected as the governor in Florida. I think that we will absolutely see Gretchen Whitmer win re-election in Michigan. Michigan is going to be lost to the GOP in 2024. Georgia's lost to the GOP. Arizona's probably going to be lost to the GOP. 
And so the bigger point I want to make is this was just not a smart political maneuver and they really should have thought about it. And what it, what it is, is it's almost like the pro-life movement is the dog that was chasing the car down the street. And then the dog caught the car and had no idea what to do with it. And I think that that's the position they're in right now. And I think that they have not fully realized the electoral consequences of this entire endeavor. Well, I, I think that's all fair that it, it definitely will change some outcomes in the midterms. But I don't understand your analysis on it being a political decision. I mean, this is a Supreme Court decision that's based off of. It doesn't you know, matter. It doesn't matter. But they but didn't it, have a choice. I mean, they had they, to, they had to rule on it. The, the 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 mistake that was made was that Texas touched the issue in the first place. Texas should have left it alone because the mm. minute that Texas touched the issue, they made it impossible for it not to go to the Supreme Court in the first place. And I know that, you know, people don't like to think about like the electoral consequences of these things. They want to say it's a simple state's rights issue. Listen, I spent 20 years as a Democrat. I fully understand the mentality of pro-life women that come from the left, they are not going to let this go. This is a religion for them. And I can already tell you that I, I have deep ties in like the walkaway movement. And I have been hearing nothing from um, walkaway Democrats that are women other than I will never support the GOP again. And this is a big problem because, you know, in the in the work that I do with critical race theory and the woke stuff, we had started to lure those college educated moms away. We had started to wake them up they had started to be red pilled they're gone now and that was an incredible amount of work that was wiped out in a single moment based on a boneheaded political maneuver well i, I just I want to throw that... in one fact maybe this is backing carlin up but maybe it's softening a little bit uh so i'm a big fan of, of sort of the betting markets rather than the political pundits i find when people are putting their money where their mouth is you get better answers and the betting markets went down around 2% in terms of Republican control of, over the Senate and various uh, Republican issues. So I believe they went down from something like 54 to 52 or, or something like this. So like the markets definitely thought that it was bad for the Republicans, but they also didn't think that it was devastating was sort of the market take. Well, I think that's, that's basically I think what I think. And first of all, my like, you know, I think if we can overturn Roe v. Wade and we you know, don't do as well as we would have done, that's worth it. I think we should prioritize the fact that we don't kill babies as someone that's pro-life and we shouldn't play politics uh, with, with abortion. I, but, I think we should just do what's right. But I agree. I agree but, with, I get what you're saying. But, but, but Tim, I have to push back on this because you're not going to create less abortion. You're not going to kill less babies. There, there's actually going to be, there's, there's data to show this is actually going to cause more abortion because they're actually going to double down harder. So if the goal was saving babies and having more like pregnancies be brought to term, that's not what's going to happen from this. What do you think is the best way to reduce abortion then? You got to change culture, change, change culture, change hearts and minds. I think that the the and and I quite frankly, I think that that's where all the effort should be on the on the pro-life front is by changing people's hearts. I mean, look at what Kathy Barnett again. I hate to keep harping on Pennsylvania, but Kathy Barnett put out a four minute ad in which she talked about the fact that she was a child of rape and her mother was raped at, you know, 11 years old. And she made the hardest choice to have that baby anyway. And it was a beautiful ad. It was probably one of the most convincing pro life arguments that i've ever seen and so that's how you that's how you reduce abortions not through laws yeah i, I mean i think specifically if you're talking about and so this is also where like when we're talking about abortion being illegal it's like at what stage if, if, you, if you're talking about late-term abortions being illegal i think it's probably plausible whether you agree with it or not i think it's probably plausible that the government could 
prevent that kind of thing. If you're talking about early term abortions, I think it is basically as difficult for the government to police this kind of thing as it is to stop heroin or fentanyl or these kinds of things. I mean, morning after type pills or not even morning after the, the, the forget what it's called, but effectively the abortion pill, the one that you can take in the first couple of months, you're not going to be able to police that. It's just very pr pragmatically separating the morality from it. I know it's difficult for people who have strong moral preferences to separate the morality from it, but like pragmatically, it will be very, very difficult to police this. So when we're arguing about whether it's illegal or not, I mean, this to me is is somewhat academic. It's like, well, how much would heroin usage change whether heroin is illegal or legal? It's not clear to me that it changes very much pragmatically. So if, in other words, so if your goal is I don't want women to have early term abortions, I, I, I think the law is fairly secondary to it here in terms of outcomes. I think I think for the first trimester, you're right. Um, and I. I've been saying for years now that I think that it ought to be like a, a ban past 20 weeks and that like that would be the compromise position where no one would be happy, but it's yeah. probably the most logical thing to do. Um, but, uh, you know, because this is such a hot topic issue, no one's going to hear me on that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's I, think it's, I think abortion is mostly culture warring. Like New Hampshire has recently passed an abortion ban at 28 weeks. So you can no longer have an abortion in New Hampshire after 28 weeks. You know, and so there have been so many fights about this. It's been nonstop abor abortion, abortion, abortion. I finally looked it up. The like average number of abortions in a year in New Hampshire at over 28 weeks is under one. <laughs> uh, under one wow. per year. Yeah, yeah. So it's like we're fighting over nothing. It's we're fighting over. I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to say that one baby isn't like obviously like that's, but like it's it's much more light. It's much more fighting and, and, and fire than it is about, you know, actually actually saving uh, lives. I mean, like, you know, for example, we probably could have saved more lives by saying, well, anyone who wants to, you know, we give them a million dollars or something. I mean, not that I would support that policy either. But uh, but like, you know, like if we're talking about saving, I, I think a lot of this, like a lot of politics, is much more about how can we dominate the people we disagree with, you know, rather than the outcomes that the policies purport to be about. Yeah, and I and I struggle with the the prohibition topic, obviously because I I'm a libertarian. I think that prohibition rarely, rarely uh, actually delivers the results that you hope for, um, and I think it'll be the similar case here. What do you think about that, Tim? I, you know, I don't necessarily disagree that much. Um, you know, I think about you look since the 1980s till now, abortions come down in about half. So there's about half less abortions per year. Um, and a lot of that has just been um, the culture's change. So, you know, you can look and ask the question, what has been successful in allowing there to be less abortions? Why are people getting less abortions than they used to right after Roe v. Wade, um, you know, was was not signed, but was decided. Be uh, better but ultrasounds. Women yeah, can, I, women can look at what their baby. Looks I, I like. think I think I think there's a lot of things. I think you know you can look at the opiate epidemic. There's a lot of issues. There's many things going on here, um, and in particular with with abortion, you're talking about paying people. One thing that's interesting, one ch charity I support is Let Them Live, and they literally go to women that are thinking about having an abortion because they don't have enough money in their view to take care of the baby, and they help them take care of the baby. And I, I haven't looked at their numbers recently, but that might be more effective than any Supreme Court decision you're going to decide. Yes. Um, 
you know, I, I, I support ending Roe v. Wade, but I agree that it's not by any means whatsoever a silver bullet. Um, but I, I will say that I do think the Democrats are not going to win the midterms in 2022 based off of abortion. I, I agree that it's going to help them slightly. I would probably be in line with the betting markets. It's a slight bump for them. It will help unify them. It'll help them with fundraising. It'll help them with getting their activists um, ginned up, which is all very useful. But the problem they're going to have is there's so many issues in this country and inflation is the number one issue by far. And there's other issues which outweigh abortion as well. And people are going to vote based off the fact that they can't afford anything. And they're going to vote for Republicans um, because they're going to see Joe Biden and his policies and they're going to want to go in a different direction. If Republicans were in charge and you saw this inflation, they'd be all voting Democrat. Um, so I think uh, when it comes to elections, it's just that simple. Yeah. And that's I mean, the Republicans are very lucky that Biden won in that sense, because, quite frankly, as much of the inflation is is, is uh, on Trump uh, as it is on Biden. Um, you know, Trump was the one who's responsible for a bunch of the huge stimuluses and so on that that are driving. And, you know, just t- it just took some time. Um, and so and, and know, the National I think, Declaration I think the Republicans of Emergency. Got a little lucky. Yeah, no, he uh, they did get lucky. Uh, I think had he won in 2020, we'd probably never see a Republican president in our lifetime, because I think this economic uh, turmoil that we're in was coming regardless. But that's a, a side note here. Um, and by the way, Carlin, I did want your opinion on abortion. I just got sidetracked. That's okay. Bruce, Bruce kept popping in and out of here. So apologize. That's okay. No, uh, no, no worries. Uh, so I did want to ask you guys if there's something that you think you can do to assist people uh, by running for politics or getting elected uh, with the inflation issue? Because as far as I'm concerned, it's just a product of central banking and uh, you know the federal government that's completely out of control. Is there anything that you guys could do personally to to try and you know stop the bleeding uh, inside inside of office or outside of office? Either way, go okay. ahead, go ahead, Jeremy. Oh, sh- I, I why do I always have to go first? All right, all right. Tim, oh, no, 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 I'll go first. I'll go first. It's fine. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not Tim, no, let Tim go first. Tim's ready. Let let, let let Tim go first. It, yeah. So what I would say, first of all, is the vast majority of inflation is because of the central bank. And one thing I try to get across, especially to America first MAGA uh, populace, is the ultimate populist issue is Bitcoin and banking. The elites and the politically well-connected in particular control uh, the central banks, control uh, the, you know, the benefits, so to speak, from that monetary policy. And what is that? Well, what did they do, right? They printed all this money. The balance sheet expanded from about 4.2 to 8.9 trillion just since COVID March of 2020, right? So that four plus trillion dollars they printed, that was not just dropped with helicopter drops. They bought up treasury bills and mortgage-backed securities. I own real estate, so it helped folks like me. But working class folks in this country got screwed by what the Federal Reserve did. And that's why we have to recognize that this is the ultimate populist issue if we can take away the power of the state when it comes to our money. And Bitcoin is a solution, I think, potentially down the road um, to helping us get to that point where the, where the federal government and central banks have less power over our money. In terms of running for office, I would just say, you know, the brush fires of liberty, so to speak, they don't burn unless we win. You can't govern and you can't promote and pass liberty-minded policies if you don't win. 
Um, you know, I certainly know how to win. I, I want as a state rep. We're going to win this congressional campaign. And it's vital that we do because we desperately need to revitalize the movement for liberty in this country. We need the next Ron Paul. Um, it's lacking. The liberty movement is lacking a fierce champion. I'd be the youngest Republican ever elected to Congress. And I want to pick up that mantle uh, for liberty. And you can look at just in New Hampshire, the Free State Project. Why is the Free State Project um, I would almost say exploding. It's because of how many races we're winning in New Hampshire. When you win stuff and you take power and you pass laws, people know this. And I think that's why my race for Congress um, is so vital. And it's arguably the most, uh, you know, it's arguably the best opportunity the Liberty Movement's had in a long time to win a federal race. I'm not going to lie. I did not give New Hampshire much consideration until recently. And you're absolutely right. The reason is because of all the people that are winning there. It's it's showing to me that the uh, the uh, centralization of our people in in one small district or territory um, is is paying dividends. Uh, go ahead, Jeremy. And Tim, how much money have you raised? Uh, we're getting close to a million dollars at this point. Whoa, boy. Well and, done. And if you want to help us win in this final sprint here, go to baxterforcongress.com slash donate. Uh, we also take crypto if you want. That's baxterforcongress.com slash crypto. Link is already in the description because I, I want to be able to support you guys. So if you are interested, sounds like Tim's really, really moving the needle here. So uh, make sure you guys support him. Uh, Jeremy, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, so one, I agree with literally everything Tim said. So I'm not going to like repeat any of that. And it's one of the reasons I'm comfortable supporting Tim, even if I might disagree with him on a couple of things. Because to me, economic, what do you disagree with him on? I would like, for example, I would not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not pro-life. That would not okay. be Okay. I was kidding. I was kidding. Go ahead. So like, uh, but, uh, but it's, but to me, like, that's, that's a much smaller issue to me than, than I understand a lot of people care a lot about it, but to me, it's like economics. These kinds of things are far more important. Um, uh, separation of, of money and state. I mean, this is, this is the issue. Um, the and fight, to me, yeah. like, auditing the fed is not enough i mean i want to go full free yes. banking i oh, want yeah. to see actual competition Absolutely. in currency i want to see the united states government i mean i guess i'm i guess i'm okay with them being in the currency business as long as there's competition i'd also be okay with them getting out of it entirely um but like th this is the issue um i mean because inflation is such an insidious thing it's a secret tax and and we all just lost 10 to 20 percent of everything we had saved 10 to 20 percent of everything you spent your whole life saving just went down the toilet um and and so this is a really really pernicious thing the government's been getting away with it for far too long and also it goes beyond uh just what what we have as people this is the way that the government funds wars this is the way that the government is hurting innocent people in foreign countries i mean and this is the fundamental issue and so i mean if we can achieve this i mean i think we will have done more for liberty than practically any other issue uh could do and i will say also like uh it does feel good being in new hampshire there is such a dense community of people who are uh whether they're farmers or off the grid type people like i do feel a little bit more comfortable because i i'll be honest i'm not exactly that way i'm i'm probably a bit more 
I don't know. Like, it's weird to call myself like metropolitan because I would have never used that label for myself. But like on the scale of free stater, like I'm more that way than the average free stater. You're clearly like, metrosexual. So. <laughs> I did. I trimmed today. You see? <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, but it feels it, it feels really good. Like I feel like I know that there are a lot of people who have concerns about the direction of the world and so on. And like living in New Hampshire, living in and it. it Sometimes I use the word community, but it's gotten so large. It's not one community. It's this network of communities. It's a society, basically. And, and it does feel, I feel safer. I feel more comfortable. I feel more prepared for the future uh, being here no uh, with everything that's going on. No doubt. I, I, that's why I'm considering it, even though I hate the cold. Uh, Carlin, I, I obviously, yeah. most of this has already been answered with the Mm -hmm. Bitcoin and the, uh, you know, fighting the Federal Reserve. I have a different answer. I have a different answer because I do, I do agree with everything that Tim and Jeremy said. And I will say, Clint, it's really not that bad here in the winter. My husband literally wears shorts all winter long. You would survive. Um, But, you know, I I would say this. So I, I, you know, I'm running for governor. So I, I, I can't go to Washington and, you know, try to get rid of the Fed or all that stuff. But here's, here's what I would do if I was elected governor is I would want to try to put a little bit more money back in the pockets of the citizens of New Hampshire because I would work with the state legislature to make the property tax optional. So if you don't want to pay the property tax, you don't have to. If you want to fund the schools in New Hampshire, that's fine. But you can also keep uh, keep that money to yourself and do whatever you want with it. And I think that that would actually accomplish a couple of things. Number one, it would, again, you know, reduce taxes, which I think we're all in favor of. Number two, 66% of my property tax goes to funding the public schools. I think one of our biggest priorities has got to be defunding the schools. I think we need to get government completely out of education entirely. And if you give parents that money back, they have the ability to decide, okay, do I want to, to fund the public schools? I can do that. Do I want to take that money and send my kids to a private school or a charter school or homeschool or get them involved in a pod? We've got a whole bunch of those in New Hampshire. So it starts to open up a whole variety of options while at the same time eliminating one of the biggest problems that we have, which is government-funded public education. Well, yeah, no, I think that's it's basically to me those are like the two biggest issues. You have to try and indoctrinate the, the next generation into some sort of liberty-minded uh, belief system, but simultaneously, the Federal Reserve is fucking robbing us blind. So, uh, and I'll I'll allow you to answer this question, Carlin, because I know you're such a fan of Top Lobster. He says. Should New Hampshire welcome Disney if hey, Florida kicks them out? Truth be told, I am actually a fan of Top Lobster's merch. I think he is a brilliant designer. I own some of it. I have no problem with the merch. What I do have a problem with is Lobster literally spending money with Disney to bring his kids there because he likes the rides, while at the same time expecting Ron DeSantis to use the power of the state to uh, retaliate for protected political speech. If Lobster was really living by his convictions, he would stop taking his kids to Disney World. Fair enough. Uh, and I will actually, because we uh, we've been going the opposite direction, I'll let you start with this one too. Uh, okay. Can can the MAGA movement leave Trump behind and maintain their America First styled energy? Um, is that is that also a uh, you know an, an energy that we should be playing off of or not? Trump's not going anywhere. Yeah, I don't think Trump is going anywhere. I think Trump's running again in 2024. But can they leave him behind? I mean, I think they could. I actually think DeSantis, for as much as I'm ragging on him about the Disney retaliation thing, I think that that was a misstep. I don't think that that's the end all be all. I actually think that DeSantis is a great candidate that um, could absolutely carry the torch of the MAGA movement. Um, is the, I don't, but the problem is though, I don't know that the MAGA movement is actually still alive. Um, and I spent a lot of time in the MAGA movement. Obviously, in 2020, I toured all around the country. I've you know 
been to CPAC. I've been to all their rallies. I was sitting front row at a Trump rally in Georgia. I actually got winked at by Mike Lindell, which is pretty great. Um, but like, you know, I, I there was all this energy before Trump left office. And I've just slowly seen it dissipate over the last couple of years. And Trump, I don't think, has really been an effective leader of the MAGA movement. But I do think he's going to be running again in 2024. And we'll see if it comes back or not. I genuinely hope it does, to be honest. You know, what I loved about the MAGA movement was that they really did have a more accepting kind of big tent approach, which is exactly, if I were arguing for the Republican Party, um, is exactly the direction I think that they should go in. Um, and I do hope that energy comes back. Yeah, well, I, I I tend to agree with you guys that Trump probably isn't going away, but I think it's fascinating the disconnect that exists between Trump himself, his actions, his presidency, and his rhetoric versus the the America first rhetoric, which I find myself much more in alignment with. I really like many of those candidates that are kind of on the come up. Um, go ahead, Tim. Tell me what you think about it. Yeah, I think Trump, Trump has changed everything in politics uh, for the foreseeable future, even if he doesn't run again. And as liberty folks, you know, war, which is the health of the state, is one of the biggest issues probably to all of us here, everyone listening. And the fact that it is now popular to take, you could call it an anti-war message, America first message, but to basically say, hey, we shouldn't be funding all these endless wars. We shouldn't send our troops to die to go try to make Afghanistan a country that hates, you know, Western liberal democracy and capitalism. The fact that they're going to, you know, put in a leader that's like the next George Washington and create their constitution. It's, it's a pipe dream. And the fact that it's now popular to say that, that is ultimately because of the rhetoric of Donald Trump. And, it, you know, I think it will be Trump that runs again. But whether it's Trump or DeSantis, someone that's fashioning themselves very similar to Trump, um, that's a reflection on how much everything has changed. I do think, um, and this is why it's so vital that someone like me gets elected that drives forward liberty. Populism is on the rise. People are fed up with the elites, with the deep state the bureaucracy. Populism in and of itself is not necessarily an ideology. What does populism on the right morph into? Is this something where the, the right rejects capitalism? Or can someone like me say, hey, you are right to be pissed off and you should be pissed off at the politicians because they took away your freedom and your liberty, right? Redirect. Populism is about who are you mad at, right? Bernie Sanders is a populist. They're mad at rich people because they're rich, right? I'm saying that you should be mad at the politicians for taking away your freedom. Um, and that's a, that's a message that can resonate uh, with people. So I, I think Trump and then where this sort of populist, you can call it America first as well, movement goes, that is, that's so important. And we need more liberty, you know, especially liberty champions to help move it in the direction we want. Well, let me let me add two things before I let Jeremy answer. One, I think that you should also give a little credit, and I'm sure you would, uh, to to Ron Paul being the one that popularized the anti-war movement on the right to some extent. Uh, Trump obviously made that much much more popular. But um, and then secondarily, I really think that it would be a huge mistake for the libertarians and liberty-minded Republicans not to ride that populist energy that you're talking about. And I think that it's it's really important that we also uh, capitalize on the opportunity of of discerning between capitalism and crony capitalism, AKA fascism, which is what we're actually suffering under. If we don't do that, if we fail in that fight, we will probably end up in a 
you know, real Marxist hellscape, because I think that at this point, people are right, actually, to be upset at many of the wealthy people in this country because they are they are becoming wealthy because of their relationship to the government. Um, I don't think that that's anything that any of us want to support. Uh, so if we can actually delineate, if we can educate people that like capitalism is not the issue, it's the relationship to the government. government. Oh, sorry. Someone's audio just clicked. Uh, anyways, go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah, I, I mean, so I completely agree that it's very important. Like there is a we, we shouldn't renounce populism, but it's very important that the populist energy doesn't turn against free markets because free markets are basically the best thing that's ever happened. Um, I, I guess I will be the odd man out here. I'm I'm a sell on Trump being the 2024 Republican nominee. I don't think it's going to happen. That's not me saying he goes away. Uh, but I think his influence is waning. I think better people than him are uh, ascendant. And I don't think he's going to have the same influence that he's had in 2024 um, that he's had in years past. I think the biggest contribution that Trump made was the sort of red pilling of people and sort of revealing the malicious nature of some of these institutions, of, of a lot of the media. Um, so I give Trump a lot of credit for that. Uh, on the whole, he didn't really make the country more libertarian. He may have changed anti-war sentiment, but he didn't do that good a job of ending them either. So, um, but he did. He did make war gay, which I know you'll appreciate. He did, you know, well, look, I mean, we all <laughs> we all know uh, the real answer um, is to make war as gay as possible. Um, so, yeah, so that's the transis that, nukes. <laughs> so that's 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 sort of my uh, that's my perspective. The best part of that ad, besides the at the end, I'm besides serious. all of it, yeah. <laughs> besides all of it, and besides the I'm serious, is the part where it's like it, it has the arrow. And it's like birthing person. Yes, <laughs> of all bombs. Yeah. <laughs> so full credit to Dan Smots, uh, yeah. who's the who is that's all that's Genius. all him. Uh, it's all it's all in the production, and and. Well, I mean, since we're talking about that, I mean, that's a big part of the way that I want to make a difference. And that's part of the way that I think the Libertarian Party can make a difference is, you know, one of the huge benefits of our sort of modern moment of this social media moment is anyone can get a million views on anything. Anyone can get 10 million views on anything. We don't have to beg to get on CNN. It's not 1990. OK, so. Any per and this is like this is one and one of the reasons I was interested in running is because whether I can do it myself or not, at least getting the idea out there, at least encouraging others, because there are people out there who are younger than me, who are more creative than me, like get out there, make the media, make the messages. I mean, that ad's got a couple hundred thousand views and, and, and we put that together in, uh, you know, a couple of hours. I mean, Dan probably did a, a day of editing after the fact, so maybe it's a bit longer than that, but like. You can make people, you know, a couple of people can make a difference, right? And it's part one of the reasons I was so disappointed in the Libertarian Party was because we we're going through lockdowns and all this shit, and they weren't doing that. And it's the number one thing I want to happen. It's the number one thing I want the Libertarian Party to be changing and, and to being is like, be that counterculture message, you know, put that media out there that that, that can make um, that can make a difference because this is how we can we can actually change hearts and minds this way. Uh, by doing this kind of thing, uh, and so it's 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 some it's an it's one of the biggest ways I want my campaign to have an impact, either by doing it directly myself or by encouraging others to be oriented that way. And and that's how you actually change the culture is is you have all these opportunities. I mean, I've had dozens of tweets that have had millions of impressions on them, 
that's crazy to me. But it's, you know, and I only got serious about Twitter two years ago. So uh, people really she do never have. Never get serious about Twitter. Twitter is not a serious <laughs> platform. Well, you know what I'm saying. I got serious about using it as a marketing tool. But um, it really, it really has changed things. Uh, you can, you can absolutely, you know, reach people Twitter. outside your realm. No, Twitter is not real life. You're well, not real life. But right. it is. But it is. Because look at like, look at libs of TikTok is a great example. And actually, I'm not that's not my politics. 100 percent. Although some of the things they highlight, I disagree with tremendously. But like that account has absolutely makes a difference. It changes policies. It changes policies in school districts across the country. It's changing 100%. the political conversation. And they can put a tweet out and then it's on Tucker and Laura Ingram and all and all these places the next day. And, and so, like, there really is – it is very powerful what, what one or a small number of people can do via social media. You don't need to get permission. You can do it yourself. And that's so powerful. And, and that's one of should. the best mo- yeah. parts of our, our current moment. That's a good point. And if the Libertarian Party, if it's going to exist, they should be existing to have a conversation and really push that conversation – Bring ideas to the forefront that makes people uncomfortable, that makes people think. Um, to, to what you were saying, Jeremy, it's an indictment of the Libertarian Party that they weren't you know, moving the conversation in a radical direction right when the lockdowns were happening. They should have been out there messaging, right? Imagine if there was videos like yours about the lockdowns in March of 2020. That would have been a really, really important role for the libertarian party to play and i this is in a way in some aspects it almost can be my role in a sense because i wish every person out there would read hayek and mises and friedman hell even read rothbard but most people what, won't. what is this even read rothbard <laughs> <laughs> the fuck <laughs> Hey, you know, hey, let's I, just be glad we've got a Republican running who can name all four of those people. That's true. That's true. Okay. I'll <laughs> Look, I, I have read, I haven't read it cover to cover because I don't think anyone has, but I have slogged through taking notes, man, economy, and state. So I feel like I've paid my dues <laughs> when it comes to Rothbard. That is not beach reading. You should have just read Anatomy of the State. You would have been Rothbard is way easier to get through than Mises. So, so don't, you know, so <laughs> sure. you know. Yeah, I've, I've, that's probably why I've read more Rothbard than Mises. Well, this, but this presents an interesting question, and I, I, uh, you know, obviously the reason I exist is because I agree with you, Tim, that the LP completely fucking failed, and they did not message aggressively when it came to the lockdowns. I looked at that as not only the most egregious infringement on my liberty in my lifetime, but also such a winning issue. And yeah. yes, yes, it, you would have been early. Yes, you would have turned some people off originally, but in hindsight. Everybody looks at my my tweets from two years ago and they go, oh, fuck, this guy knew what the hell was going on. And and the LP had that opportunity to be that, you know, that vanguard of a real defense of liberty when it mattered most when the when the GOP had failed, too. Um, so I completely agree with you. But I wanted to ask uh, acro- across the panel, is it is it possible that, you know, going back to the Trump success where, you know, he rode populist um, tendencies, but he also kind of did away with the, uh, I don't know, the, the politicalness, you know, the, the, the buttoned up tied guy. I mean, he still dresses that way, but he just doesn't talk that way. He's more, 
you know, with the streets. He's more with the people. Um, is that is that something that I mean, obviously, Jeremy's bringing that type of energy where he's willing to say crazy stuff. Is that is that a trend that you're going to continue to follow with your campaign, Tim? Uh, I would say that authenticity is something that people can sense it. They could sense that Trump was different. Um, you know, they rejected Ted Cruz, right? This guy, you know, he he does this. Yeah. You know, that's that's all he does. And people are sick of those politicians. They want someone that's real. And I think people, especially when they they look at what I've done, they listen to me, they meet me, they know that I'm real. And desperately what we need in the liberty movement is someone on the House floor making these speeches in the thick of things like Massey did saying we shouldn't spend this money. It's going to bankrupt this country. And then two years later say, see, this is what happened. But we need more people leading that charge. So, you know, I'm you know, I'm a state rep. I'm a business owner. I kind of check all the boxes so I'm not, you know, I'm, am I like a Jeremy? You know, no, I, I sort of am a authentic, principled, uh, but real, but also I'm a politician as well. And I think, I think that's something people can get behind. And I think, you know, no disrespect, Jeremy, but I think people also recognize it's partly why we're raising money that we can win. We can win. And that's vital because if we don't win, we don't have anything, um, especially when you're running as a Republican. Well, I'm going to toot Jeremy's horn for him because Jeremy has already raised more money than any other libertarian Senate candidate in like New Hampshire history. So so people are given to that, too, because oh, the yeah. messaging is important as well. But, you know, I, I mean, I will say, though, that and, and people should donate to Jeremy's campaign at Jeremy for New Hampshire dot com. Um, but, um, you know, I will say, too, I do think I agree that the, the era of like the politicians politician is kind of quickly coming to an end. I think that Trump really did change things. People. People like to be spoken to by real people. And I also think that, you know, people are angry. People are frustrated. I think that's true on both sides of the aisle. And they want someone that understands that frustration and can speak to it with more than just talking points and platitudes. And I really do think that, you know, I, I agree with you, Clint, about just the absolute abject failure of the Libertarian National Party in, in the times of COVID. Um, but I also think that the Republican Party, quite frankly, hasn't been much better because they speak to the same talking points over and over and over and over and over again and then give the opportunity to do something they never do anything yeah and so i think that that's got to change as well i think we're in a time when people understand the difference between people who are taking action and people who are saying nice words to them and they want the people who are taking action yeah and they want authenticity i mean just look at the success of joe rogan versus the nightly news it's mm -hmm. like this is this is what they want they don't even care if they disagree with you i mean i disagree with rogan on a ton of things but i i want to hear someone who's thinking sincerely you know they're actually reflecting on their own belief system they're not this buttoned up sculpted scripted yeah. bullshit because everyone's so sick of that not everyone i mean there's obviously the democrat voters will still vote democrat but uh sorry i had to take a dig there jeremy you got yeah. anything to add that's right so you got to go out there and be willing to get ratioed like me so that's hell how you yeah know i'm real um, I mean, let's not act like the Republicans were somehow better than the Libertarians on, on the Libertarian Party on, on lockdowns. You know, like yeah. basically all three major parties were terrible. Free staters were great. You can go back and compare what the Free State Project was saying in March and April of 2020. We were continuing to meet up. We were making Facebook posts that got us ratioed and got people say that we were killers while the Libertarian Party was like, let's give tax breaks to people who close their businesses. 
uh, which is a very perverse incentive to be to be giving. So I'm not trying to drag my own party, but I am a free stater uh, first. And I got involved with the Libertarian Party because I thought that what what they were doing, uh, you know, in 2020 was pretty ridiculous. So uh, no, none of the not even to call the Libertarian Party establishment, but, you know, no one was good in, in March, April, uh, May of 2020, other than the free staters, free staters put on pork fest in the summer of 2020 when every other libertarian event got canceled. OK, yeah. so if we're talking about a group of people that are committed to liberty 100 percent, it's well, it's all three of us. I think we're all free staters. So um, but anyway, uh, that it, it wasn't really the the uh, you know, the establishment, uh, the establishment political parties. And then I guess the only other comment I'd have here is that, you know, I do think that that politics has become, you know, sort of more populist, this more off the cuff. You're not going to get these these people who are all buttoned up. That said, you know, Trump was he was a policy idiot. He didn't understand a bunch of the deeper stuff. Was he funny? Did he have a knack for social media? Absolutely. But imagine someone who could do both of those things. And like, that's where the real power is. And like, yeah, I, I like, I'm happy to troll and do shit takes and do funny ads, but put me on an economics podcast and, and, and I can, you know, wonk out and, and talk as seriously about policy as anyone. I think that's not persuasive for the vast majority of people. So it's not something I focus on doing, but I right. think the best is to find people who can actually, who are actually capable of doing both. Yeah, no, I, I think that we're at a point where uh, not only is that possible, but it's necessary. I mean, you're going to have to be able to get, like, if you want to get elected, you're going to have to get serious conversations with, you know, Patrick Beck David, where he's going to skewer you. You saw what happened to Joe Jorgensen when she was pushed back on, it was a fucking disaster. So we need, we need candidates that can, you know, appeal to the populist movement and also the shit posting uh, world, but also be able to sit down and have serious conversations. Um, I do have one more, you know, significant question for you guys. But before I get there, I want to thank our other sponsor for tonight. And that is careerhackers.com. If you are suffering because of inflation, or if your uh, employer has treated you like shit and decided that they want to force something in your body against your will, it might be time to go get a different job. And you can do so by signing up for the daily job hunt newsletter, go to careerhackers.com. It's free. Sign up for the daily job hunt. It'll give you some information on how to become a better job, job applicant, how to uh, basically present yourself in a way that makes you stand apart from other competitors for that job, careerhackers.com. And this is where I wanted to wrap up. And obviously I'll let you guys do plugs too, but it seems to me that the warfare state has gotten so out of hand that the public will, no matter, it doesn't matter anymore. Like they, they seem to be willing to take us into World War III without there even being a popular will for conflict. And, and it's, it's stunning to me. I honestly did not see it coming. I didn't think that they would have this kind of uh, chutzpah to, to drag us kicking and screaming into a fucking hot war with, with Russia, with a nuclear power. But it seems like they're dedicated to that. So I'll start with you, Cartland. Uh, is that, am I evaluating this correctly? Is this a real risk? What do you think? I, I think you're absolutely evaluating it correctly. I think it's a real danger. I think that World War III has probably already started. And, you know, this is a really tough issue for me because my husband's from Ukraine. I have family in Ukraine. They're living in one of the cities being bombed right now. My brother-in-law is literally on the front lines of this war fighting in the Ukrainian army right now. Um, and so it is very personal. But at the end of the day, we need to stay out of it. It is, the, it is the most important thing that any of us can advocate for is that we need to stay out of this and 
I'm sorry, like NATO needs to be dissolved. Yeah. Well, and and the, the fact that, you know, so much of this conflict is a product of our prior interventions over there. So uh, what do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, this is this is a tough one for me as well. I have several uh, Ukrainian employees who are you know very passionate about what what's happening, and I don't want to see them or their fam- well, their family members. They're not in Ukraine. Uh, I don't want to see their family members get hurt. Um, and this is one where like, a, you know, not, probably ninety eight percent of the time things make sense to me, and this one kind of doesn't. If I'm just being honest, like I kind of thought people would be better after the Iraq war and Afghanistan and all this stuff. I thought there would be a bit more of an immune response to them drumming, drumming these, uh, you know, war beats again. And, and it doesn't appear to, to really be there. I've, I've been a bit surprised by how effective the propaganda has, has worked here. And so that's one where, and that's one where we, as you know, as people who are against that, um, we need to work on our messaging and figure out how to wake people up because we do have the ability to get our message out there if we craft the right one. And so if this is the next uh, you know, moment that we're in, we should be thinking about how can we communicate, how can we get a message out there that can potentially shake people up and, and get them to change their minds about this kind of thing. Go for it, Tim. Yeah, what I, what I would say is, one, it's sickening how many people that have a LGBTQ BLM flag you know, then they also have uh, a Ukraine flag. It's like, where's your American flag? <laughs> That's one of the things that pisses people off so much is our country is unraveling before our eyes. We are spending ourselves into oblivion like Rome did. And we're printing all this money. Inflation is out of control. And they want to send another $40 billion to Ukraine. And they don't even want any oversight into how that money is spent. It's just virtue signaling and it's just beating the war drums. The media has been basically creating this giant fervor for it. And you're right, Jeremy, that sort of these these left wing folks have just fallen for it. It's remarkable how the anti-war left, if you want to call it that, has completely evaporated before our eyes. Well, three, um, I mean, three quarters of the Republicans or two thirds or whatever it was also voted for the spending. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I agree the Republicans were better yeah. on average, but it's but, still the, but not not a single not a Democrat. Single Democrat. Yeah, so, sure. Fine. Fine. Crazy. Like that. OK, sure. So what? The point is, it's not like it's a mainstream like it is. It is a minority position among the Republicans to be. But not not with the people, though. The politicians don't represent the people, certainly not anymore. And on the, the right wing side of the aisle, the people are against us sending more money to Ukraine. And I think this is a great issue for, for liberty folks to drive forward. Yeah, well, I think I think what concerns me most is that it's not popular amongst the American people to by and large. And yet, if you were to look at the congressional vote, it would look as if 70 plus percent. 80% of the American people are totally on board with this. And I don't think it's even fucking close to what that. It, what it, does anyone know the actual polling data on let, should we send 40 billion? To I, I don't, but I'm going to be honest with you. It wouldn't even matter to me because okay. they, they aren't, they aren't educated on what this actually amounts to because they've been so deeply propagandized as to believe that we can arm, you know, the Ukrainians against Russia. And that doesn't represent us entering a conflict with Russia, you know, like that, that's really that if you were to it, like the poll I want to see is, do you want to go to war with Russia? Yeah, know, because yeah. because that's really what this is about. Is it, It's right. not about, you know, the, the conservatives are going to make the argument that we shouldn't be wasting this money and blah, blah, blah. That's all fine. And obviously, I don't want to waste the money either. But 
the bigger the bigger concern to me is fucking hot conflict with a nuclear power and and also a potential for a hot conflict with another nuclear power in China if they were to move on Taiwan. I mean, we are we are just a breath away from a, a you know a dual engagement nuclear conflict. It's fucking crazy, and and they're doing it all without popular will. And I just think that's an amazing turn of events that I didn't expect seeing. Anybody want to add anything there? Well, fun fact. So they've actually, that in the war games that they've done on this, in the uh, eventual nuclear holocaust, New Hampshire survives pretty well while Florida gets nuked. So you better get here quicker. <laughs> oh, that's a good argument for the Free State Project, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeremy, anything to add? I mean, I just think that the military industrial complex is so fucking deeply in bed with our government at this point that like... Oh. There's yeah, nothing we can one, do almost. One small thing out there. I don't know if this one will ever stick, but I, I, to me, a really good test for should the United States government be involved in a foreign conflict is the very first thing is, are you willing, are, are people in such trouble that you would allow them to come here? Are you inviting them here? The United States, uh, during world, prior to World War II, uh, Germany said, We'd like to export all of our Jews. We would like to send them to other countries. The United States said we would take zero extra Jews, not a single extra Jew. As a, there's, there's a conference called the Evian Conference. Basically, every country in the world said we don't want a single extra Jew. Uh, and then World War II happened. And so same thing with Ukraine, same thing with the Uyghurs in China. Before you're willing to fight a war, before you're willing to send the money, the first thing has to be to say, hey, we're willing to take you in. And if you're not willing to pass that test, then it shows that you're not actually concerned about those people. You have other motivations for why you're being involved and wanting to do that kind of thing. And it's fascinating, too, because they've they've allowed, you know, tremendous amounts of uh, migrants from other war torn countries. Somalia comes to mind. I know Minnesota has had a huge influx of Somalians and. I just don't understand it. It just seems as if like if it's not a boon to their their expected political alignment, then they will not allow immigrants from these war torn countries. But if they think that they'll go the other direction, then they uh, they won't. So it's fascinating. Tim, anything else to add before we head out? Uh, not in particular, but, um, you know, I would just say that it's an interesting point that you were making, Jeremy, and I, I think we shouldn't relent on this war issue at all. The fact that they're trying to get us into another war um, that could potentially be a nuclear war, this is something we got to fight tooth and nail. It's everything, man. I mean, it, like people always say, you, you don't have World War Four because World War Three is, <laughs> is the end of the road. And, and I just, I can't believe that I'm even having this discussion. I can't believe that it's not more uh, mainstream, that this isn't like everybody talking about this all the time but it it scares the shit out of me honestly um and I, I you know people probably get sick of me bringing it up all the time but it's like this is the biggest thing like we we are currently funding another serious military power which we've also trained for the past eight years which we've also had operatives on the ground there in a conflict with russia which by the way we have also uh concocted a story that our former GOP president was a product of their interference in our elections. It's just like it's all it's all so diluted. It's also detached from reality. And I just don't know how we win the information war to prevent the hot war. Anyways, uh, Carlin, if you could go ahead and tell people where they can follow you, where they can support your campaign. I really appreciate your guys time. Yeah, so uh, my campaign doesn't really have an official web presence. We're thinking very seriously about creating a Facebook page right now, but <laughs> awesome. 
<laughs> but if people <laughs> if people do want to follow me and support me, they can head over to activelyunwoke.com. I have a new book that was actually came out last week all about fighting back against woke insanity. You know, one of the problems that we didn't uh, really touch on much today was, again, public education, which is really my biggest thing. And in this book, I actually make the case for putting a camera in every public school classroom, at least in New Hampshire. I'd like to do it in the country to live stream directly to parents, um, directly what's going on in the classes, because I think that that is one of the fastest ways to defund the schools that we can possibly do, um, because it will instantly turn public sentiment against the insanity that's going on in the schools. So people can pick that up at activelyunwoke.com. Beautiful. Jeremy? Yeah, if you like the messaging that I've been putting out, you can support my campaign at jeremy4nh.com. Every dollar goes a really long way. I'm running a very effective campaign. I have a lot of business history, so I'm not going to waste that money. And Yeah, Dan Smoss doesn't charge that much, so just give him some money. Please. Yeah, that's right. We'll give the money to me, and then I will give it to Dan. Would be well, that's what I meant. Yeah. Arrangement. And, um, and uh, yeah, like, look, I, I believe I am the kind of person who has the ability to change the conversation. If you've been frustrated with the Libertarian Party, if you don't like the way that the Liberty message has been getting out, and you like the way that I've been putting it out, please support me, uh, because I will continue to do that, and I will use your money very effectively. So I'd really appreciate that. And if you're in New Hampshire, uh, come and support the campaign directly. Come to events. Um, and do that kind of thing. And if you've never visited New Hampshire, you need to, because what's happening here is really incredible. If you're pessimistic about the future of liberty, come here. You won't be anymore. Yeah. Look into the Free State Project. I will be at Porkfest uh, giving two one-hour presentations, which will be nerve-wracking as all get out. And I will actually be presenting on ESG, which I wanted to talk to you guys about. Maybe we can get into it at uh, some other time. Uh, Tim, I'm very pumped about your campaign. Obviously, I didn't know you well uh, prior to this. Uh, Thomas Massey needs reinforcements, and I think you're the guy to do it. So go ahead and tell people yeah. how they can support you. Well, well, thank you, Clint. And I hope you'll join the people in the audience in making a donation to my campaign. Um, Gonna put me on the spot. All right, all right. I'll give you some yeah. money. Yeah, you're in, you're in? Yeah, I'll give you money. Nice, I appreciate it. I, I would just say, you know, I, I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm all in for liberty. And I think the liberty movement from the moment Ron Paul stopped, you know, 2008, 2012, he picked up more momentum and the oxygen has left. We desperately need to revamp the liberty movement, as I said before. And if we get a 24 year old skinny ginger kid elected to Congress in New Hampshire, where I've raised almost a million dollars, Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, we've got more local endorsements from state reps than the rest of the primary field combined. Like this is the opportunity to do it. Help us get over the finish line. Help me become the next Rand Paul. Baxterforcongress.com to donate. You're going to be the next Thomas Massey, but no, I'm just kidding. I, I, I love, I love Even it, man. Bigger. It's going to be huge. <laughs> Get that get that MAGA support with the huge. If you're listening, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. I think people will uh, have learned a lot about what you're about, and and I really wish you guys all the best uh, with your campaigns. Uh, we need we need serious movement. Whatever whatever direction you're pulling, as long as it's in the direction of liberty, I am with you. And if I can be of service with you guys uh, in that path, please let me know. Thank you again. This was fun, guys. We'll thank you, guys. Thank you.